it's really hard to learn how to be content with what God has given you, isn't it? It's hard to say, okay, I'm here right now and be faithful in what God has given us. And so right as we are where we are, you're always like, oh, well, it could be better if this was different and this was different and this was different. But no, this is what God has given us. And when we are not content with what God has given us, we're really saying to God, God, you don't know what you're doing. Regardless of your situation the past few months, this has been a trying time. It's easy to look at these difficult circumstances and wish they were different. Today, Pastor Daniel points out that it's really hard to learn how to be content with what you've been given. You look at your life and find lots of things that you want to change. Pastor Daniel will share how you can fight against discontentment and move toward trusting God. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Numbers chapter 16 as he continues his message, Korah's Rebellion. At this juncture, Moses and Aaron, everything since they were in Egypt points to that these are God's chosen and anointed vessels. But they're like, look, All the congregation is holy, so who are you to be a leader? Now, what's amazing is, all the time today, people still have the same issue, right? If the church, if we're the priesthood of all believers, then why should there be a leader? Right? So the issue here, and it's funny, because I realized that, like, there's a part of me that wanted to bring in someone else to preach this message, because I realized I am the lead pastor of Crossroads. And how many people have heard a pastor get up there and say, I'm the pastor and everyone's going to do what I say. I'm not going to do that. But it's like, it'd be easier if I had another pastor come and share this. Because you're like, oh, it's real self-serving, Fusco. And those of us, all of us were called the question authority. Oh, it's a power play. That's what Nietzsche taught us. Religion's a power play. It's all a power play. Everything's about power. Right? Did Moses and Aaron take this stuff upon themselves and run with it? No. God has gave them this. And they're seeking to steward God's people. And as you can see, as we're traveling through this, it's not exactly a cakewalk for Moses and Aaron either. It's a big mess. And this is another one of those situations where their authority is being questioned, and not just by nobodies, but by men of renown, by leaders, by their family. You take too much upon us. But notice, see, Moses' heart is displayed right in verse 4, because look at what he does. So when Moses heard it, He fell on his face. Now, that does not mean that Moses was not the most graceful of people. And he had a problem staying up on his feet. Literally, he's, it shows his humility and his submissiveness. Like literally, his integrity is questioned. And his first response is actually a response. It's sudden. It's dramatic. It is humble. He shows contrition. Now, what's amazing is is he's humble, but notice his response in verse 5. He says to them, tomorrow morning, the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will cause him to come near to him. The one who whom he chooses, he will cause to come near him. So he says, listen, authority is God's to give. 
That's what he says. So he's like, look, I'm humble. Authority is God's to give. And whomever God chooses to do this, we'll let God choose. And then he says to them, he sets the stage for them in verse six, do this, take censers, Korah and all your company, put fire in them and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is the holy one. You take too much upon yourselves, the son of Levi. So what he's saying is like, okay, we're going to have a test then. We're going to all put incense in our censers and we're going to bring it before the Lord and we're going to see what the Lord does. But he's saying, you guys are overstepping your bounds. See, he knows he calls them sons of Levi. He doesn't do that for no reason. See, he realizes that they already have a position. They are sons of Levi. They have a, a special, but they're not content with where God has them. Now listen, as I look at my journey as a follower of Jesus and in life, I realize that it's really hard to learn how to be content with what God has given you, isn't it? It's hard to say, okay, I'm here right now and be faithful in what God has given us. And so right as we are where we are, you're always like, oh, well, it could be better if this was different and this was different and this was different. But no, this is what God has given us. And when we are not content with what God has given us, we're really saying to God, God, you don't know what you're doing. You're a lousy God. You have not taken care of me. You have not done the things that I think you should do. And my way is actually more important than what you think, God. And the whole heart of malcontentment, discontentment, is a severing of our relationship with God. But isn't it so easy to be discontented? Now, what happens in regards to authority structures, Korah, And some of those guys, they were priests. And so they already had a lot of ministry to do. But they wanted Aaron's ministry. Aaron's the high priest. I'm just the priest. Not good enough. Listen, for those of you who have jobs with bosses, isn't that the way it works? Man, that boss doesn't know what he's doing. If I was the boss, right, we all do that. Unless you have a great boss. But we all know great bosses are rare, aren't they? So we all hit that point where we're like, you know what? If I was the boss, and then what you start doing is the boss tells you to do something, and you kind of be like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do what he says, but he doesn't know what he's talking about, right? Yeah, around the water, you know. Yeah, he doesn't know what he's doing. you know. And you start undermining the person's leadership. You're being Korah, Dathan, or Byron, on. You're doing the same thing. Because our job is not to worry about how someone else does their job. Our job is to be faithful to the Lord on the step he has us. And that's not only true for our jobs, that's true for our lives. If you are single, be content as a single person, trusting the Lord, saying, God, I'm going to trust you. If you're a married person, be content with the husband or the wife that you are with and say, God, I'm going to invest here. You know, and if if your spouse has gone home to be with the Lord, then say, Lord, I'm going to be content here. I'm going to learn how to be fruitful and faithful with right what you've given me. Now, I realize I pretty much just spanned everybody's experience right there. It's hard to be content. And the Apostle Paul said, I have learned in all things to what? To be content. So being content is a learned behavior. It's a behavior that says every time we feel discontented, we say, you know what, God? I'm sorry. Teach me to trust you. I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, forgive me. I trust you. I believe. 
help my unbelief. And we do battle against our malcontentness, our discontentedness, our subversion of the authority by simply saying, God, if you wanted me there, you would have put me there. And so I'm just going to be where I am and I'm going to be here well. Now, I realize that I could just shut the Bible right now and we'd all could just pray the rest of the time about that, right? Like, that's a big thing for us as humans, as people. Because I don't know about you. I know in my life, as I was preparing this, I'm like, man, I am just not really the most content person. There's a million things. I'm like, you've got to change this and this, and what about this? And it's just like, and I'm being like, Lord, I'm sorry. I trust you, Lord. This is right where we are. This is where I am as a person. This is where I, my family is. This is where we are as a church. This is what we're trying to do. But you know what most of us do? Instead of learning to be content, we act out in frustration, don't we? And that's what most people get from us. They get the frustrated version of us because we have not learned that contentment has nothing to do with our boss or our position in life. Our contentment comes from our relationship with God. And we're all growing there, aren't we? And I'm going to pray for all you guys. Y'all could pray for me. I'm not preaching down on anybody. We're all in this together. We're all learning this. But the problem for Dathan and Abiram and Korah and On and the sons of Reuben is that God has already given them great things to do. They're just not content with the boundaries of it. And isn't that one of the main areas of discontentedness? God has given us something, but we don't like the parameters. We want a different set of parameters. But God is the one who has set the parameters. God's the one. So look at what happens next. Verse 8, we have the confrontation. It says, Then Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it a small thing that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to serve them? And that he has brought you near to himself, you and all your brethren, the sons of Levi, with you? And are you seeking the priesthood also? Therefore you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord, and what is Aaron that you complain against him? Now, notice this. Moses, because he's a good leader, confronts the error. The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. What that means is that, friends, if your friend is screwing up, you need to tell them in love that you think they're screwing up. Because that's what good friends do. Good friends look at you and say, look, I love you and I believe in you and I think you're out to lunch and it's not a good out to lunch. Because faithful are the wounds of a friend. See, Moses could have very easily been a politician. I'm going to do damage control and I'm going to try and win it back. He's like, no, no, listen. What are you guys doing? Do you think it's a small thing that God has given you this ministry and he separated you from the children of Israel to work on the town? Like, you have a great ministry. What is your problem? You know, and I'll be honest with you, I think we need more loving confrontation. Now, listen, I say that. Some of you have been confronted by people that love you. You're going to need to go and apologize for your reaction. That's what I want. I'm going to encourage you to do that. Because all of us, when someone confronts us in love with, and challenges us, what do we do? Oh, oh, you think you're talking to me? Well, let's talk about you, right? That's what we do. Because that's the way 
humanity works. That's the way you and I work. Because just like Adam and Eve, when someone calls us out on their, our stuff, we know that that person has stuff too. So rather than look at our own stuff, we deflect and attack. If you don't believe me, just watch any talk show. Every time someone makes a good point, they start to character assassinate the other person. Rather than dealing with the point, they just go on the offensive because I don't want to have to deal with myself. So if someone has lovingly confronted you and you reacted the way, you went the way of all the world and we all know what that's like, just go on a positive. Because they did that because they love you. They did that because they care. They did that because they want God's best for your life. That's why they did it. And that's why you got mad because... Deep down, you know that they're probably right. Maybe you didn't like the way they said it and whatever. But it's like, you know deep down that there's an ability to grow and learn. Moses is right on. He's like, look, you guys got a great ministry. What's the problem? It's not a small thing. What did Aaron do wrong? And Moses really boils it down. Because I love this. Verse 11. Remember I said that the issue with discontentedness is in the relationship with the Lord. Verse 11. Therefore, you guys know, when you see the word therefore, what do you say? What's it there for? That's Bible Interpretation 101. Therefore, you say, what's it there for? It's a conclusion. Therefore, you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. He's like, look, you're not against Aaron. This is against God, what you're doing. And the Bible teaches that every mistake that we truly make, that's actually who we're against. We think that we're against people. If you're fighting people, you're fighting the wrong battle. Our confrontation is against God almost all the time. When we are discontented, when we are being subversive, when we are being malicious and all these things, we're literally doing that against God. Against God. Listen, you wives submitting to your husband as unto the Lord, when you don't, you're rejecting God. Now, don't forget, husbands, the verse before that verse is actually submitting to one another in the love of God. So if you're not submitting to your wife, then you're sinning against God. And don't miss the fact that in those verses, women are asked to submit and men are asked to die for love. And I always say, if you give me a choice between submitting and dying, I'll take submitting any day. If that text is sexist, it's anti-male. It's not patriarchal, it's matriarchal. Women get three verses, men get seven, and it's all about dying like Jesus died. And that's just not me being a guy just trying to read it. Choose the side you want to be on. But really, wives don't submit to their husbands. They submit to God, and they trust God with their husbands. And husbands don't really die for their wives. They die to themselves as unto the Lord, and their wives get the benefit. See, really, the relationship is vertical, and it has a horizontal implication. It's not just horizontal. And what we make, we make the mistake of it, thinking it's a horizontal, it's an interpersonal relationship issue. No, it's a vertical, it's a spiritual issue that has interpersonal ramifications. And isn't it true that all of life is like that? We think it's just on the natural. It's, it's just a financial problem. It's just a what I eat problem. No, it's a vertical reality. It's our relationships with God and how that informs everything that we do. And we try and divorce the two. Pretend like, well, my relationship with God is one thing and my relationship with everything else is something different. No, that relationship has to inform everything else. It has to. And what Moses is saying to them, he's saying, you guys, you don't even realize this isn't against Aaron. This is against God. 
This is a spiritual problem, not just a organizational problem. So from there, verse 12. And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab. But they said, we will not come up. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness that you should keep acting like a prince over us? Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. Now, you see what goes on here. Moses said, this is against the Lord. And they said, you know what? You're probably right, Moses. So we're not coming. They started. They don't want to follow this thing through. And what are they saying now? Notice. And this is how you know. These guys are all backwards. Because look at what they say. Verse 13. Is it a small thing? You notice they're going tit for tat here. This is like an argument in the Bible. You take too much on yourself. No, you take too much on yourself. Is it a small thing? Is it a small thing? You see that. This is good old-fashioned human arguments going on right here. But look what he says. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? Do you notice the language? Now, Egypt was a land flowing with milk and honey. Was it ever that before? No. It was the land of bondage. They were oppressed. Their kids were being killed. And, but, but now they're like, oh, no. So... Is it a small thing that you brought us from this great place where we were in slavery to kill us in the wilderness? Now, was it Moses' plan to bring him into the wilderness to kill him in the wilderness? Did Moses do that? No, he didn't. Not at all. But you know what the problem is for the leader when things get rough? You always blame the leader. It's the leader's fault. But really, the reason they're all going to die in the wilderness was because the people wouldn't follow God. But the leader's the fall guy. And they're saying, Moses, this is all your fault. We were doing great, Moses. We were in the landfall with milk and honey. So good. But the leader's the fall guy. And this still goes on today. For a lot of people, the football season is over and all sorts of coaches are getting fired and all this stuff. But that's the way the world works. You blame the leader. We all know the story that's gone on, so we know that Moses isn't truly at fault. But some of their stuff here is just not right. And then he says, he says to them, in verse 14, Dathan and Byron say, Moreover, you have not brought us into the land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us any inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put at the eyes of these men? We will not come up. They're like, look, you're going to kill us. That's what they're saying. That you haven't given us anything. You're a terrible leader, and we're not going to come up so you can kill us. But they started this whole thing. So it's unique. But when they realized, I wonder if when Moses said, you're against God, they were like, you know what, you're probably right. But it would have been a cool thing if they would have just said, you know what, we're totally wrong, we're sorry. None of everything else would have happened. They would have just owned it. You know what, we're out, we messed up, sorry, forgive us. Can you forgive us, Lord? We're sorry, we did it against you. This whole story would have ended up different. But look at what happens next. Verse 15, then Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, nor have I hurt one of them. Verse 16, and Moses said to Korah, tomorrow you and all your company be present before the Lord, you and they, as well as Aaron. Let us each take his censer and put incense in it. And each of you bring his censer before the Lord. 250 censers, both you and Aaron, each with his censer. So every man took his censer, put fire in it, laid incense on it, and stood at the door of the tabernacle of meeting with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the congregation against them, 
at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. Now, you see what happens here. Moses has a, what we would call a one verse prayer. He just says, God, don't respect their offering. I haven't done anything. Does Moses go into a long diatribe defense on how good he's been? No. What does he do? He says, Lord, can you take care of this, please? I once heard Pastor Chuck Smith say that if you defend yourself, God will let you. It's a rough one, isn't it? If you choose to defend yourself, God will let you. Moses is going to let the Lord be his defense. He's not going to go tit for tat with these guys. He's not going to be like, oh, well, you... No, he's going to be like, Lord... Will you just take care of this, please? And I think too many of us think that we need to defend ourselves. I think too many of us get too caught up in trying to self-justify, vindicate. When really, I believe that we just need to learn how to trust God. And oftentimes, God is working through all of this stuff for greater purposes than we realize. But also, don't miss the fact that the Apostle Paul did write some letters of defense for himself. So I wanted to make sure I put that in there as well. Because Chuck Smith said, if you defend yourself, God will let you. You won't find that in the Bible. But there's some truth there. And I think for some of us, we're, we're so busy wanting to self-justify that we're not saying, God, can you just work this out? God, we trust you. We believe. Help our unbelief, God. The next day, they all show up. Moses calls them out again. You guys got to show up. They all show up. And we find here that they're all at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And it says, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. There was a a visible, tangible manifestation of the glory of God. Which, my friends, we need to start praying that. Lord, can your glory appear in our midst, in us? I think we forget sometimes that God wants to show up in power, in awe, and in glory. And I think we need to ask for that kind of stuff. The Bible says you have not because you ask not, so might as well ask that God's glory may be revealed in us and to us. Jesus is real. From the playground to the boardroom, the desire to justify yourself comes pretty naturally. However, as you learned in today's teaching, Moses chose to let the Lord be his defense. Pastor Daniel shared that Moses simply asked God to take care of the situation because he trusted to do what was best for him. Moses didn't need to vindicate himself because he knew that God would work for the good of everyone involved. I want to thank you so much for listening to the Jesus is Real program. And I realize that there are many of you You're not a born-again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. So if that's you, if you're saying yes to Jesus for the very first time, pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to know that you did it though, because I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED, 
to 51400. S-A-V-E-D to 51400. And my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. And my team, we want to share some stuff with you. So don't go anywhere. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. You know, the Bible says that when one person comes to Jesus, the angels in heaven rejoice. And we rejoice with them today if you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Daniel. Again, to receive some resources that are going to help you in this new journey with Jesus, take out your mobile phone right now and text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 51400. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will look at God's judgment for those who rejected God and his chosen leaders, Moses and Aaron. You'll learn that God moved in judgment because sin is so offensive to his holiness. While you may want to define what is good and bad for yourself, only God is able to make that distinction. So, while Korah and the others wanted things their own way, it was ultimately God who decided the outcome. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Wilderness. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio. 